Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You are going to run into 50, 100 deals before you find that perfect deal that works for you or works for your investors, they're out there. So you just have to keep looking for it, keep building your network and your relationships. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Rinku Patel. Rinku is joining us from Atlanta, Georgia. She is the co-founder of Invest Beyond Multifamily, where her team takes down and syndicates value-add non-residential commercial real estate. Rinku is also starting a women's-only commercial real estate mastermind. Her portfolio consists of several retail strip centers, co-working office spaces, land, and flex buildings. She has also invested in a number of syndications, Rinku, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I am good. First of all, thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to be on the show. The pleasure's ours. And best ever listeners, I got to give you some fair disclosure. Rinku and I have known each other for almost 20 years. She is my sister-in-law. And as of about a year and a half ago, we are also business partners. Rinku, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? 
Absolutely. So typically went to college, got a degree in computer information, worked in IT for several years, and then got an opportunity to start a franchise business. Did that for several years. And that process is where I started to learn about real estate and land because those franchise businesses were located on retail property that came with the deal pretty much. And then we got out of that business, went to go work, actually a couple of big franchise groups, young brands, focused brands, and covered a large territory with them. After that, moved on to work for a publicly traded company and I did M&A for them. So worked on pretty large deals on acquisitions and then transitioned to do working for myself and just getting back into commercial real estate. Rinku, when you were a franchisee, when did it occur to you that this landlord is not working nearly as hard as you, but making a lot of money passively? And every month you're writing a pretty big check. When did it occur to you that the grass might be greener on that side? Oh, that was pretty quickly. And then another pivotal point on that transaction was one of the buildings that we had that property, the business on, had a billboard. It was a double-sided billboard and it was rented to Lamar. So they were paying $500 a month on that double-sided ginormous billboard. And they reached out to us and they said, we want to buy the rights to this billboard. And they were turning that into digital. Well, they paid me 150 grand just for that billboard to buy the rights out for that billboard. I was like, this is a building that you owned, right? Correct. And the building, I bought it for $600,000. I'm like, wow, that billboard is worth more than the building pretty much which sat on a very small little lot and they had access to it every month to come just change their marketing on. Did you negotiate? You get some free advertising on that billboard? They wouldn't do that. (laughs) You tried though, right? I tried. Absolutely. I tried. (laughs) All right. Great. So $150,000 that you would not have otherwise gotten. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking of it. So tell me, how did you get started in commercial real estate? So my family, I guess my husband also owns several groups of restaurants and I was throughout all the careers that I've had, I was also helping them and coming to kind of a a point where thinking you're continuously paying rents to all of these tenants and there are various number of rents that we pay on all of these spaces. So I kind of said, it's time that we need to go back into commercial real estate and see what we can do. As far as even for ourselves, finding a property and we would lease out a certain percentage for ourselves and lease out the rest. That's where the thought initially started. And that's not where the first project actually ended up being. Tell me more. Okay. So that's where the thought was. So continuously on all these different websites, looking for deals and stuff, looking for property, probably went through at least 30, 40, 50 of them before I found a first one. And the first one I found was a flex space, three tenants. And this landlord pretty much lived in Florida. He was retired. This was one of his last properties he needed to sell. And the rents were about 1200 a piece per tenant. Well, the numbers really didn't work because the purchase price was listed at 500K. And they were all month to month, which was great. So I asked for his permission to say, hey, can I go in and negotiate these leases? He said, absolutely, go ahead, 
Well, in that process, I lost two tenants. And all I was trying to do is go from 1200 to 1600 is all I was trying to do just to make the numbers work a little better and for me to have a certain percent return on that first property. So when I lost those two tenants, I went back to the seller and said, hey, these two tenants are leaving. I need you to extend this purchase contract for an additional 30 to 45 days for me to market this place and get other tenants. He said, sure, go ahead. He didn't ask for any extra earnest money or the earnest money to go hard or anything, which was a great sign. Why Um, is that a great sign? Because I know he was willing to work with me. And he was retired. He wasn't managing the property. He was just waiting for that $1,200 checks every day. He had this property pretty much free and clear. Okay. A couple of questions on this. So there was three tenants there when you started looking. Mm -hmm. How many total suites were they? Three. Okay. So three out of three were there. This was fully occupied when you started Mm -hmm. looking. And for the best ever listeners, explain what flex space is or really just explain what this building was. So it's basically a metal building. However, it has bay doors and then it also has office space and then it has a bathroom and a little kitchenette break area for the staff. So basically these flood spaces are really good for car businesses, any type of little small plumbing business, an electrical business that they can pretty much pull their vehicles in, load up in the morning, and then send the crew out while the few people that do work in the office show up to answer the phone calls, pay bills, and things like that. And you mentioned the tenants were month to month, and that's a good thing. Can you explain to the best ever listeners why that's good? Because when you have somebody that's in place and that has a signed lease, That means that is all you're going to get on a monthly basis. You don't have the opportunity to increase that rent until their increment happens or they're going to sign a new lease. So for this, basically me going into it, I can say, you guys are way below market and we need to bring you up to at least close enough to the market. In this case, 1600 was not even close to market. It was probably halfway to the market. All right. So now the seller thought he had a fully leased property and he's losing two tenants thanks to you doing these interviews and you asked for more time. What are your next steps? So next step was I go to Staples, print out these big four lease signs with my cell phone number on there. I put it on both of the windows and spaces. I picked up some four lease, those yard signs with my phone number on that. I wrote it with a Sharpie, posted it on the grass area in front of the building as well, and pretty much went to Facebook on the marketplace for the specific area, posted it on there. And within two weeks, I actually was able to lease out the spaces. For how much? One space I leased it out at twenty two fifty. And then the other one I listed at sixteen fifty. Wow. Okay. So you've added a ton of value to this property, just in due diligence. Right. Okay. And did you negotiate a reduction in price at all since you started out with a fully leased building and now you got some vacancies? I did. So I was able to negotiate at four thirty four from his original list price was at five hundred. Okay. And how long ago was this? This was over two years ago. What is that building worth today? Oh, that building probably is worth around 1.1 right now. Okay. So you 
almost triple the value of a building in one year by signing a couple new tenants. Correct. All right. So that's a big win. I want to go back to those franchisees and restaurants. Your family has a number of restaurants. This is interesting because a lot of restaurateurs never even consider buying commercial space. All they want to do is lease. And then on the flip side, I've had some friends of mine and they're like, gosh, you inspired me. We're looking for a second location for our restaurant and we're going to buy instead of lease. And that kind of sucked because I wanted them to lease one of my buildings, but apparently my inspiration led them to buy a building. The problem is they ended up buying in a location that's not ideal just so they can say they own the real estate. So explain to me the mindset of a restaurateur. Do they typically think about buying, leasing? Do they care about owning? Is location more important than owning real estate? So definitely for a restaurant, location is more important on where you're at. You want to know your area and where you're going to go into, who your demographic is, what your food or alcohol or your dessert shop is appealing to. And do you have those demographics within that area before you even look at leasing a space and let alone buying? And that's the reason I'm getting to is why I ended up in my first flex space is because it is so hard to find a restaurant space, let alone a retail restaurant space that I can go into with the right demographics because those strip centers are already owned by bigger guys and not somebody that who's really starting out or who's really new or who's in a restaurant industry and now wants to go into owning real estate. So those are really hard to come by or hard to find. And then as a landlord, we see tenants put hundreds of thousands of dollars into our buildings. When you're leasing, does that not pain you to put so much money into a building that you don't own? And when you leave, all that money kind of stays behind. Is that not painful? Oh, absolutely. Because we will go into a space and put in brand new flooring, all the decor, brand new furniture. We would build out the whole bar, the bar back, all that tiling work, the patio work that it takes, the cover-up patios, if we're installing a cover-up patio, all the planters you put in, basically the music system you put in, the lighting system you put in to have the right lighting and the atmosphere to bring in the customers. And then when you leave, all that is left behind. And the biggest expense that a restaurateur doesn't realize that they leave behind and they have to is the attached hood. And those hoods are very expensive to put in because they involve a roof cut, obviously, and they can be taken out. And there's fire suppression that goes with that hood as well, right? Correct. And this is why we love commercial real estate. You never find apartment tenants saying, I'm going to redo this floor. I'm going to put some luxury vinyl down. I'm going to remodel this bathroom. It just doesn't work, right? But with commercial, it's our tenants will put so much of their time, money, and effort into our buildings. So yeah, I wanted to dive into what it's like as a business owner to put money into somebody else's building. So thank you for that. All right. So you got this flex space. What did you do next? So next to you, I actually will give you a failure that I actually had. It was a 23,000 square feet building that I put under contract. And in the process of due diligence, I realized those taxes were extremely high. The tenants were okay. I know I can add the value to it or bring in better tenants and improving the building image as well. 
but the great thing working for it was it's, uh, it was on a busy road and in a growing area. So I went to the city, met with the taxes department and everything, tried to decrease the taxes. They said, well, absolutely not. We don't do that. We will never do that. I tried several times. So I let it go. And till this day, I feel like that was a good deal. Did you try um, to negotiate the price before you backed out? I did. And then negotiated a little bit. However, it finally sold to someone else for additional 100000 less than what I had it under contract for. So I was like, okay, that was a point where I felt a little bit better of saying, okay, maybe that wasn't the right thing for me. And it was good to walk away. But it so still was $100,000 would not have moved the needle on that deal? Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, good lesson learned because if you anticipated taxes going down or thought you could do an appeal and that didn't work, this would not have been a good deal. It's like a jealous ex. You want to keep an eye on who's buying the right. strip mall. So that's good. All right. Lesson learned. What was your next deal? My next deal was actually a 21,000 square feet building. This was a mismarketed deal. Well, kind of not mismarketed. It was by a broker that hardly has any listings. He's kind of retired and was doing a friend a favor. And I happened to run it across as I was just doing local searches for local brokerage firms, local websites and agents. And I ran across it on his website. So bought that for $2.2 million. It was fully occupied. And we knew going in, the rents were a little bit lower, but didn't anticipate the market to kind of blow up that it has within the last 18 to 24 months since COVID. But the great thing we did know is there was a church space and that only had a one-year lease left. So I'll give you a little example of that church space. All in was 875 a square foot. They were occupying 6,000 square feet. And the market rent for that area at the time was about $17 a square foot. So we knew that was going to be our play on top of a couple other spaces that were going to come up for renewal in the next 24 to 18 months. Yeah. Whenever you see a church in a non-church building, they always underpay. And often it's lazy landlords where a church offers to take a whole bunch of space. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, why not? Come on in. Well, you're only going to pay $4 a square foot, whatever your church, it'll make me feel good. I see that a lot in flex right. spaces, industrial buildings, retail spaces. And that's a great value add because if that space is in demand, you can charge a lot more money to a normal retail tenant versus a church. So did you end up raising money for that $2.2 million? I did. I raised a little bit of money for that to bring a couple investors in. And that was just a simple race to kind of get my feet wet to learn raising funds and trying to get into syndication process pretty much. And what kind of debt goes on a $2.2 million commercial strip mall? So I have a relationship with the local bank here that's based out of actually Alabama and Georgia. And I was able to secure a loan at 15% down payment. Loan on that was, I want to say four and a quarter was my interest rate on that property. How long is that locked for? It is locked for five years. Okay. And then it just readjusts to market? Mm-hmm. Or we okay. refinance at five years. And how many years is that amortized over? 25 years. Okay. 
We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Everyone is looking for a recession-resilient investment. How can you try to prevent from losing money by picking the wrong fund and sponsor? Right now, you can get Reliant Real Estate Management's free guide, 10 Things to Consider in a Real Estate Investment Fund, by visiting besteverreliant.com. Answer questions like, is the organization's focus on you? And does the fund keep employees? Reliant Real Estate Management is ranked one of the top 20 largest self-storage operators in the country with one billion dollars in self-storage assets. After completing three funds and selling 38 properties with zero dollars of investor principal loss, they have an average project level IRR of 33% in just over 3.5 years. Visit besteverreliant.com right now to receive the 10 things to consider in a real estate investment fund and get access to their latest investment opportunities. That's besteverreliant.com, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R, R-E-L-I-A-N-T dot com. Why is it important to use a local lender? Why not use a broker or a big bank? Okay, so I actually did go through all of those processes. I have relationship with broker. Broker pretty much what he does is that he goes out and finds investors. So basically, he's making money on my deal. So he's increasing that. However, that's going to end up me paying a lot more money to him at the end of the day. That's one. The bigger banks, really, you're just a number. I tried that process as well. The requirements were a lot higher for bigger banks as far as what the down payment would be. It was more closer to 30%. And this is more appealing to me as to only having 15% down payment. Yeah. And that's important. So best ever listeners, I've done the same thing. I've had big banks approach me and say, we would love to refi your entire portfolio. And I thought, wow, maybe I could save a whole point on interest rates and pull a bunch of money out. And then when they go through my portfolio, they only want properties that have been fully stabilized for three years or longer. And they don't want anything with mom and pop businesses in there. So it's like, okay, you want to cherry pick all the good stuff and leave the remaining stuff with my local lender who went to bat for me and took a chance on me. So I think I've done a solo podcast on this where it's so important when we're doing our value add commercial deals to find and partner with a local lender. So thank you for that. How are you finding these deals? I guess since I've started doing this, I try to keep relationship with every broker I run into on various deals that I see pretty much. And they might not work out or they might work out or somebody else might beat me to the punch on some of those deals. However, I make an effort on a monthly basis, send them a text message or an email saying, you got anything coming up? You got anything under market or anything that you're signing pretty much? And that gets me a view of it before it hits the market or something that they can secure right away, especially with where the market is going with the interest rates. I like that. Normally it's brokers that are bothering us and now you're bothering the broker. Flip the script. That's good. And when you do that, do they respond and give you off-market deals? What's the response typically when you hit them up? Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. What will happen is that in a lot of the cases, several cases in recent weeks I've run into is where I didn't have anything, but when I did have this under contract, it fell through. Are you interested in looking at it? Deals that are falling through, which is still 
wasn't a bad deal when the interest rate weren't as high, probably 60 days ago or 90 days ago, and these deals are not closed now. So I get an opportunity to look at those and revisit those and kind of say, yeah, I'll take a look at it, but it'll be a little bit lower than what I would have given you 90 days ago. Yeah. And this is the beginning of November, 2022. And I'm assuming you're feeling the same thing where sellers are still stuck on the price they could have gotten a year ago. They're not willing to accept the fact that rates have gone high, cap rates have decompressed, and they still want top dollar for their properties. Oh, absolutely. We are still running into that because, again, the market hasn't adjusted for the sellers to have that realization of saying, borrowing money, it's a lot more expensive nowadays than it was a year ago or 24 months ago, where we could close on a loan at 4%, four and a quarter. We've got several loans that we close at a four and a four and a quarter, four and a half percent. And the last one, I'll just tell you, I closed about three weeks ago was in the high fives range. Yeah. The good old days, they might be gone for a while. Right. right. So you're starting a women's only mastermind. I got to tell you at the last best ever conference, there was a young lady who had a women's real estate meetup. And I was genuinely curious. I said, why is this women only? What if guys want to attend? And she's like, yeah, we have guys that attend. So explain to me, why is it that you're doing this women's only group? Listen, it's 2022. Got a lot of woke people out there and we're supposed to have all this equality. And she took the time to explain to me that when you have a mixed group with men and women, often the women might be intimidated and raising their Mm -hmm. hand and speaking. And there's a great book by Sheryl Sandberg called Lean In, and it talks about the nuances of women and men. And after she took the time to explain that to me, I thought, this is awesome. And I've got a daughter. So I applaud all of you that are doing things for women only and to educate women and bring them up. So what was your inspiration behind starting a women's only mastermind and what is your goal? Okay. So a couple different factors why I'm starting this. Number one thing is there aren't a lot of women in the commercial real estate world. I run into a lot of men. There are a handful of women that I have ran into and those are only at an agent or a broker level. So that was one reason where I can empower women to say, you guys can Just as be equal, you guys can just as do what these men do. Third is, it annoyed me to the fact that why I need for myself, need more women in this industry is because at least once a week, I get mistaken and get called Mr. Rinku Patel. And it annoys the crap out of me to people to have assumption, even in 2022, to say only a male dominated industry and they would assume that it's a male trying to do this transaction or trying to look information on this deal or trying to shop around this loan. And that was another big reason that said, this is why we need to penetrate this industry with more women in it. The goal obviously is educating how easy it is than residential and multi-unit and how diverse of a deal it could be. Every deal is different because of the tenant mix, because of where it's located, because of it could be the cam charges, because it could be the rent rates. It's so many different factors and every deal is different and every deal has a different amount of return, which could be astronomical. 
my first building that we spoke about, it now has a cash on cash return of 58%. Can you get that on a residential or multi-unit within two, three-year period of time or within the first 12 months, actually? Yeah, great points. But I got to ask you, you said it's easier than residential or multifamily. Explain that to me. It's easier because women don't understand that how easy it is for us because we are day-to-day, we go in and we manage the home finances. And how- Hey, my house, uh uh-uh, I do it all. (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. Well, you might be different, Ash, but I'm telling you with my household, I do that. So when you go in and I'll give you a perfect example of shopping around for internet service, when you have options of- three different carriers of saying, hey, if I sign up with this one, it's $50 a month for the first year. And then it jumps to 80 versus to this one, it's $30 a month. And then it'll jump up after the first year. And then I can negotiate after the first year. Well, you imply that analogy into commercial as well. That's the same thing when you're negotiating a lease or when you're negotiating the TI money or when you're negotiating the purchase price. You're looking at it the same way. And I honestly feel that women are more sharper when it comes to their negotiating skills. Listen, my operations manager is a female and she's a killer. She negotiates rent increases, leases way better than I would. So uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said to that. And that's cool. So I would like to see more women in this industry as well. It seems like residential fix and flip houses There's not that many women because maybe there's a lot of hands-on work or you're dealing with a lot of male contractors. With multifamily, it's impressive to see how many women are syndicators, are capital raisers. There's a lot of females in multifamily syndication, but then you're right. When it comes to commercial, it's usually agents or really that's it. There's just not a lot of landlords investors that are female. So good for you. What are your metrics when you look for a deal? So definitely, you know, we look for value add is a number one thing we look at. We look at all different classes of office space to flex to retail, industrial, and then cash on cash return. Anything that the lowest I've done is at 16%. The highest I've done at closing would be around 32% is what I've done in my portfolio. And the deal that was 16%, what was that? The reason it was because there were only five-year leases. A couple of tenants have three-year leases in there, and they do not have any renewal built in. All those leases are about 3 to $4 under market. So when these leases come up for renewal within three to five years and we negotiate them, they're going to be going to market. And the reason we can ask for that market at that point in five years is because this brand new building is around a brand new middle school, elementary school that's under construction. Right behind the property, we have 70 homes that are under construction as we speak. And the only exit entrance point is next to our shopping center. We've got public storage. We've got a couple of medical offices coming next to us, daycare, additional residential. So we've got a lot of development right around our building. 
that's going to justify our number in three to five years. Okay. Let's touch on that for a second. You said there's no renewals built in. That's something I do in my leases where I'll give them renewals, but I'll put down at market rate. Why don't you want tenants to have built-in renewals? Because it kind of caps you at what they're going to pay in five years. So when you're working out your performa, you've got a side income and you can only go up at 3% or 4% or maybe 5% the max, right? You can't go up any more than that compared to when you have it saying the renewal is at market rate or have no renewal gives you option to find other tenants because give you an example, I've got a salon in that building. She spent over $200,000 on that salon decor. It looks fantastic. It looks amazing. She has clients and she's booked up pretty much from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. every single day. So if she doesn't renew, we know we can find a salon tenant that would be more than happy to occupy that space. That looks fantastic. Yeah. And that's a great point. So renewals only help the tenants. And if we extrapolate this to the multifamily world here, places like Phoenix, they have let's say 20% year over year rent increases. Well, that would be great in commercial, but if we're tied into a lease, we're stuck with the three, 4% annual increases. And when there's renewals built in, maybe we signed this lease during a non-inflationary time. And we thought maybe a 5%, 10% renewal bump would be ideal. And here we are, residential rents are increasing dramatically. We're tied into our leases. So when they're out of renewals and their lease term is up, everything resets back to market price. So it's very important to discern. The double-edged sword here, though, is it's also a benefit for us where if the economy tanks and apartment rents go down with the market, our tenants are still tied into that long-term lease and that renewal is still in place. So we still get the money that we signed for years ago. Now, renewals, another reason they help the tenants is because let's say somebody's paying $2,000 a month and the market's booming. They're tied into a 10% rent increase in year five. Well, they're only paying $2,200 a month now. But if the market tanks, they can come back to you and say, look, I know I've got this renewal at 2,200, but there's all this vacancy around. I can move and go over there. I'm going to pay 1,500. So they don't have to abide by the renewals. But us as landlords, we have to. So it only helps the tenants. Great point in bringing that up. Ricky, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say never give up because you are going to run into 50, 100 deals before you find that perfect deal that works for you or works for your investors. They're out there. So you just have to keep looking for it, keep building your network and your relationships. And how does somebody that maybe comes from the business owner, franchisee owner space, how should they look at getting into commercial real estate? The perfect way is to hit me up or listen to your podcast. But again, there are a lot of educational videos out there for them to get their feet wet. There isn't much out there for commercial. There's tons of stuff for multi-unit. There's tons of stuff for 
just renting and short-term rentals, Airbnb and stuff. There just isn't a lot of content out there for commercial. So a lot of it happens through building relationships, looking at deals, researching, running numbers, talking to banks, lending, things like that. Awesome. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, Rinku, what's the best ever book you recently read? I would say From Top of the Mountain. And what was your big takeaway from that? The big takeaway was this person that climbed Mount Everest was blind and he did it blindly. And the fact that I imply that analogy on everything I do is you don't have to have every single thing to accomplish something. You just have to have the drive, the want, and the desire to do something in life. I love it. Rinku, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I love giving back to homeless people, children and stuff. My biggest give back I do is every time I visit India, I do a lot of homeless feeding and providing necessities. And Rinku, how can the best ever listeners get a hold of you? They can hit me up on my Instagram. My Instagram is at C-R-E-W-O-M-E-N Mastermind. Is there any other way they can hit you up? Oh, they can hit me up on my Facebook or my Instagram. Awesome, Rinku. I got to thank you for your time today. You came from the restaurant industry. You were in corporate America for a while. You were on the other side of being a landlord. You were a commercial tenant and you realized the benefits of being a commercial real estate investor. Thanks for giving us a lot of tips and sharing some of the nuances of women in commercial real estate. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, and have a best ever day.